What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm. I'm joined today by, as usual, Chris Grenham, Nicole Yang. And we are going to talk a little bit about the Celtics' huge win. Well, you know, huge in terms of score, not in terms of importance, but their um, comfortable win over the Denver Nuggets tonight, 107 to 92. Before we get to that, we have some actual news from the Celtics today. They managed to sign Dennis Schroeder to the taxpayer mid-level exception, $5.9 million for one year. They got everything they were hoping to get with Schroeder in that they get him, they get him on the one-year deal, they don't hard cap themselves. What do you guys make of this signing? I mean, my first reaction is like, GM Brad is on a heater. <laughs> He's on a heater. Absolute heater. Because as we discussed in the last episode, like the offer has been out and Schroeder hadn't accepted it. So clearly there was a point of disagreement, whether he was trying to find offers elsewhere, or whether he was trying to negotiate something better with the Celtics. And there was a report that he was trying to get the full MLE and a player option. So about $5 million more and possibly another year on his contract. And he got neither of those. <laughs> and so GM Brad is off to a good start. Obviously, we will see what happens in the 2022 offseason. I think that will be a turning point for him. But like from what we've seen in the first initial months, it's been like A plus. Maybe not A plus. That's a little excessive, but like very good. So, so successful for the Celtics. Just a wildly successful move with the Schroeder acquisition. You get him for 5.9. So you don't have to use the full MLE. You're not hard cap. So you're not in a tougher situation. Like from the Celtics perspective, this is perfect. And I, I really do think think that, well, first off, maybe they can keep Chris Dunn. They're not hard capped. That is a wild, just massive success. Put that aside. Second, I think this is a pretty good match for both sides, honestly, because it was pretty apparent that the market had kind of dried up a little bit for Schroeder if he came to the Celtics, but it does make a lot of sense for both sides. One, the Celtics get a really good guard, which helps add to their depth. They get a good scoring option, which they didn't have a whole lot of before that, and they get to maintain that financial flexibility. On the other side with Schroeder, he's going to get to play a lot. And he's going to get a chance to really prove himself, which is clearly what he was looking for because he was going to have to bet on himself with the way the market had kind of lined up. So I know it's not what Schroeder had really hoped for when he turned down the Lakers extension, but with kind of the current situation he was in, I think it's not a bad scenario for him. And the Celtics certainly fell right into it. It's perfect for them. I mean, it's a tough look for Schroeder in that regard, because like, I mean, (laughs) the taxpayer mid-level exception for a guy who so recently, not only was like, this wasn't like John Collins being like, I'm asking for a, a max contract this was no you had an offer on the table which yikes but Nicole just to just to bring it back briefly to your point about Brad one of the things about him is that he's a preparer right like he's always prepared he always has like all of his little scenarios like lined up you know he's I mean he watched how much film as a coach if you if you wanted like a sign that he might go on a heater like this that he might have like a whole plan and just kind of like execute it and you know in reasonable fashion you probably could just look at the amount of film he watched and I think you said like an A plus is excessive and it is but the argument for like a real good grade is that we all kind of had our questions about whether Tatum and Brown were just done for. And again, like the plan that they're on makes it seem like there's a potential that it isn't pretty good by him. I would say like Truder is going to bring a lot to this team. They really needed his depth and they got it. They got it for exactly what they wanted to get it for. They didn't mess up next year's cap space at all. And I think getting Schroeder for this money, I think the Celtics probably would have hard capped themselves because he is such a good fit. You know, if that was the only thing they could do, but the 
fact that they didn't is pretty big. Like Brad's going to be able to pivot midseason if he needs to. So all around, just a, a really good signing. Yeah, and I think the fit works pretty well. Again, if you're Schroeder, you're going to get to play a lot. But from the Celtics perspective, you lose a guy like Kemba Walker, who is kind of that energetic point guard, that speedy point guard, who obviously can shoot a lot better than Schroeder can. But Schroeder does bring that kind of energetic quickness to the Celtics offense that they lost a little bit in Kemba Walker. So I think that's a positive. Again, like I just said before, the shooting is going to be interesting because, you know, Josh Richardson's not a great shooter. Marcus Smart is a streaky shooter and Schroeder hasn't been the greatest shooter over the course of his career, but you know, he can get inside really well. He's a good dribble penetration guy and he's quick. Ime Udoka, when he was talking to reporters tonight in Vegas, said that he was going to try and put the ball in Marcus Smart's hands a lot more. If he does do that, there's opportunity to put Schroeder alongside him in very Various lineups. He's had success with that in the past, Truder playing alongside another facilitator. So I don't know. There, I think there's a couple intriguing roles that they could kind of fill him into in the rotation. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing about the shooting, how maybe the ideal candidate for like a free agent pickup would be someone that could like a veteran that could add a little bit more in that regard. However, it still does leave the door open for Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, like those guys to maybe fill that void. For sure. Like there's a good amount of like might happen shooting, mm-hmm. right? Like Peyton Pritchard might be like a really good shooter. Like it's tough to say because like we're seeing it in summer league, but I mean, he was solid last year, obviously. Aaron Neesmith had a really good night tonight, but I mean, he looked like a guy who, you know, he looked like a guy whose one for eight performance really was just like a, a fluke. There's some potential to add on to shooting, you know, in various lineups with Shooter as well. But to Grenham's second point, I am curious, what do you guys think the starting lineup will be? That's a perfect segue into our Gino time draft tonight brought to you by our friends at the shades on beer company they're the makers of the geno time stout they're the makers of plenty of delicious products so if you're in boston keep an eye out for shades on beer company products keep an eye out for the geno time stout if you're a celtics fan in rhode island of course check out the shades on beer garden and tasting room but obviously anywhere in new england keep an eye out for shades on beer company products but yeah let's uh draft our starting lineups nicole of course don't even run the randomizer you just go first so i think it's going to be al horford to start the season at least maybe rob williams will take that over as the season goes on obviously Jalen and jason and then i think they might go with richardson just to have Schroeder like running the second unit like basically an adult on the floor not that Josh Richardson isn't an adult but as we mentioned before like he's not as much of an offensive threat as Schroeder so I could see them bringing him off the bench and having him sort of like man like just own that second unit he would be complemented nicely by the shooting of the young guns I think that list makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to go a little bit outside the box here. I don't I don't know if this would work or not, especially given all the evidence that these lineups don't work in recent years. But I'm going to go with Smart, Jalen, Tatum, Horford, and Rob. So start two bigs. I think a lot of people would point to Philadelphia as a reason why two bigs in the starting lineup, you know, doesn't work with Al Horford. But I mean, there's a million reasons why, you know, that especially didn't work in Philadelphia where Ben Simmons clogs the floor and, you know, Embiid is more of a post-up guy than Rob is. Like Rob's not a put his back into you kind of guy. So Rob and Horford are just two very different bigs. They're both great passers. You know, Rob is a role man. You know, he plays obviously so vertically. He gives you all that vertical spacing. Horford gives you the spacing out to the three-point line. 
You got your two stars in there. I'm not sure how well it would work defensively. Horford's a little slower now than he used to be. And like Rob is a shot blocker, but he's not always like, you know, the most reliable stay in front of a guy kind of defender. But I, th- I think there's some potential there. And I think you would have some just like a lot of spacing in, in several different ways. And then obviously smart to distribute and play defense. I mean, Horford did express, especially when he left for Philly, that he wasn't really interested in guarding fives anymore. So yep. I think this role might also help in that regard. For sure. If they play the Sixers, I would bet that Horford's still has to just try to body up and beat. I'm, I don't know. I don't think it would work anymore, but like, it's going to be better than Rob. So. He's canter. That's true. That's true. And the bead stopper, as He's they bad. call him. <laughs> so yeah, except against the Sixers where they will start Al Horford and Ennis Cantor. <laughs> I think Horford is going to start to begin the year, but kind of like Nicole said, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, ideally Rob's durability kind of picks up and he can be the everyday starter, especially with Horford's durability at this point in his career. You can't really rely on him for 20 plus minutes every single night. I'll stick with Horford just in the early season lineups. And then obviously Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, yes, 100%. Chris Dunn, Peyton Pritchard. <laughs> yeah, that's a different, separate episode. Juwan I think, the, I, think uh, I think Richardson starting next to Smart is a pretty good possibility with Schroeder and Pritchard kind of manning the second unit. And I think that would be a pretty ideal second unit because like I mentioned before, Schroeder's been pretty good alongside another guard like that in the past. Granted, Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they're not Peyton Pritchard, Peyton Pritchard is a bit of a different player than those guys, but I think it's an intriguing combo. That being said, I also think a really intriguing starting lineup would be Horford, Brown, Tatum, Smart, and Schroeder. You just plug Schroeder next to Smart, and I think that would be super interesting. I don't know how effective it would be, but I think it would be fascinating to watch early on. Again, you have Schroeder and Smart who don't provide a whole lot of shooting, but Smart and Richardson don't either, so that's kind of interesting. It's really who you put next to. In my mind, it's who you put next to smart, but I'll stick with Richardson and smart in that backcourt just initially, because I think that's the most realistic combo, but I would be really intrigued to see a a Schroeder smart Horford Brown Tatum starting lineup. I would be, I would be intrigued to uh, sub Schroeder out for Pritchard. And like, you know, yeah. I, I think that crew is real good. I mean, you provide that shooting in there that I, I, I do actually think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Or like, who knows what happens with Romeo or Neesmith down totally. the line. Like Romeo totally could. Neesmith. I got some thoughts on Neesmith. <laughs> I could see either of those guys, depending on the matchup or depending on how their seasons go, like getting, I mean, ultimately I think the Celtics have the roster for like basically matchup contingent starting fives. Like I think we're, we're not going to have totally. uh there will be a consistent one but i think there will be some alterations based on who they're playing yeah i think that's definitely fair to say let's talk about the game that happened tonight the celtics are now 2-0 at the las vegas summer league absolute juggernauts some takeaways from this one i mean obviously aaron neesmith scored 33 points he became the second celtic at this year's summer league to hit seven three-pointers after pritchard did it in the first game pritchard himself had 12 assists romeo again just had a monster dunk bruno fernando made his debut any kind of standout thoughts from you guys for just kind of overarching stuff from from the evening yeah best summer league team of all time mark it down <laughs> greatest team of all time i don't think beyond this game we really need to see any more I would love to but see any more from Peyton Pritchard Aaron Neesmith probably as well I think we've seen enough I don't really think you need to keep running those guys out there in my mind and that very well could have been the plan I mean I I tweeted out in I June maybe or July I don't even know when it was that the plan all along is for Pritchard to only play in a couple games here and I'm assuming that's the case with Romeo and Neesmith too so I was thinking in the middle of this game like okay like I'm, I'm good here I don't need 
need anybody getting hurt, but they, they look great. I mean, Pritchard is really versatile as a, as a point guard who can run the game. You saw what he did in the first game and tonight he was flirting with a triple double. And when Neesmith gets really, really hot, like he was tonight, you realize what all those high, high end scouting reports were about when he was coming out of Vanderbilt. So that was fun to watch. The high end scouting reports coming out of Vanderbilt probably weren't high enough on him. I'm not saying he's going to reach these levels, but like when, when you watch him in a game like tonight where he's creating some off the dribble and he's like attacking these closeouts really hard and he's like hitting step back threes and getting into the paint and hitting floaters. When you add in the defense and how hard he plays and the athleticism that nobody knew he had, like that off the dribble stuff was not supposed to be there at all. He's really intriguing to me. I think one thing that people underrate with him is when he was, when he's coming off screens and when he's coming off the ball, like how quickly he squares himself to the hoop really matters as he develops his dribble, right? Like as he develops into like moves and stuff like that. But a huge part of shooting is squaring yourself and he can do that off ball. So yeah, why wouldn't it logically follow that then he could become an off the dribble scorer as soon as he learned to dribble? So I think there might be really something there with him. And I know I'm like, I know I'm doing like the overreacts to a summer league game thing, but I think all summer I've, I've kind of thought that like, if there's like a big riser on this year's team, it's probably Aaron Neesmith. We are hundred percent right about his off the dribble stuff. Look at his footwork right now compared to what it was at Vanderbilt. It's totally different and it's way like better. Completely different player. Completely different player. He gets the ball at Vanderbilt. It's that boxy footwork that you see from a lot of college shooters. We're like, I'm not allowed to put the ball on the floor. So I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to square myself and I'm going to, and that's fine at the college level, but he is clearly worked quite hard on that because it's a world of difference right now. And he looked really good off the dribble. He just looks more comfortable. And Joe Mazzulla has talked about it a couple of times already. His confidence is just up and up and you can tell because his, I think there's reason behind it because I think he's gotten better. I think the case for continuing to play him in summer league is actually a lot stronger. If I were the Celtics, honestly, I would probably try to at least do a game where I just put the ball in his hands a lot. I, I think the thing with Neesmith is like none of this looks natural to him yet. Like you can tell he's worked on it a lot, but like he he looks like he's still going really fast, and like everything looks like it's still pretty fast for him. And he's he's very fast, so that's fine. Like he can keep up, but like I think that's part of the reason he looks a little out of control sometimes. Is like he's just like real amped up and going, <laughs> and then like today he was hot, so it worked, and he made a lot of shots. But like he just kind of has this like nervous, like I'm going now kind of energy. I love his energy, but I think that it's a clear indication the game hasn't completely slowed down for him yet yes <laughs> we'll know that when he slows down exactly. <laughs> no I think that's exactly right and I think that's the reason that you actually just like play him through summer league again there's a lot of potential there like he could be a really good player and like but I think you know I wouldn't want to shut him down I mean he barely got any reps last year this is like a real chance for him to develop his game develop some confidence if he's confident he's nice and his first game was kind of a dud so I'm sure yeah. he'd like to see completely. some consistency yeah. definitely I, I do totally agree with that though like pulling him from the Pritchard and maybe Romeo mark of, of yanking them at maybe just like a you know, cameo appearance in, in summer league like it does make a lot of sense to run Neesmith now that you talk about it because say you can get a game like that where he's on the ball a lot and you don't have Pritchard in the lineup you don't have someone maybe like Romeo in the lineup and he's on the ball a lot that's what summer league is for like developing various areas of the game so I'm sure the coaching staff would like to do that I would love to see that I think that makes a lot of sense a couple other stat lines and guys that I thought were notable. I mean, Yamadar after lighting the world on fire, 0 for 3. I mean, defensively, the thing about his defense,
defense is that he's very aggressive. And Joe Mazzula talked about this and said when he's locked in, he's a really good defender, but he doesn't keep guys in front of him at all. You know, he's very aggressive and he forces some turnovers. He forced a couple turnovers in the first game, but like, like, you know, like I can get right by him. He's not athletic enough to be super, super aggressive. Mazzula said he's just got to be solid. It's a hard, it's, it's hard. It's a fine line, finding that balance and pressuring the ball, but staying solid and not reaching and keeping his man in front when he's solid. He's a very good on ball defender. So I, I think that's going to be the thing for him. Like, yeah, I mean, he's a flashy player. You know, I, I think he enjoys having a little bit of a little bit of flash to his game. And, and the defensive side of flashy is when you're pressuring, but he's got to use his length. He's got to use his feet. He's got to just, I mean, he's got physical advantages. He, you know, he is very long, but he's not, he's not so athletically gifted that he can get away with getting beat a bunch. Yeah, I think tonight kind of showed that defensively you can kind of tell with Madar that in the past he's been able to solely rely on that length you know you rely on a back swipe you don't have to be that sturdy defender like Joe Mazzula was highlighting and that's something to work on again I think he got away with it a little bit against the Hawks where his length did do him some wonders and he was you know the hyperactivity on defense showed some good results but tonight kind of went the other way so I, I definitely think that's something to work on and uh it was sort of inevitable he was basically perfect in that first game as far as everyone uh as far as the reviews went so I, I think it was kind of inevitable that he regressed to the mean a little bit I thought Bruno Fernando was fun too tonight he was another guy that stuck out somebody pointed it out on Twitter and I just thought it was exactly right it's just like these guys just needed an adult like yeah. basketball big man the bigs that they were playing with were really struggling and so you've got now you got Fernando I mean you know I say adult he's like 22 like he's really young but you know just having that guy who has been in the NBA a little bit who's a little bit older who's isn't just like like a G League guy who got bounced up or something like that he's I think it really helped in that perspective but yeah I mean he's he plays real hard he's, he's super enthusiastic there's something there for sure there's something there for the end of the depth chart in terms of this particular summer league roster god he's an upgrade from Zach August has been struggling a little bit he was better tonight but I mean, tough. So Bruno Fernando was certainly an upgrade <laughs> to this roster's front court. His roster spot, though, isn't necessarily secure, right? I wouldn't say so. Yeah. yeah. Don't they have yeah. 16 technically right now under contract? I am dreading the Woj tweet, just dreading the Woj tweet. The Boston Celtics have agreed to trade Chris Dunn to any team for cash considerations and a highly protected second round pick. And I'm just going to dive headfirst into my pillow. Worst day ever. I don't think they would do that because it would just be so much easier to just cut Jabari Parker. Who's I really hope they would do that. I'm, I hope so. Because Jabari's, Jabari's a wing forward, which is tough because like they have more guards. So Chris Dunn might be a little more expendable. That's fair. You might be diving into your pillow Grenham they might try to find like a way to trade him or something but it's hard because he is a far more useful player than Jabari Parker the way the roster is set up he is more expendable probably just not that many bigger wings somebody's got to defend LeBron and I guess it's Jabari Parker (laughs) (laughs) man we're in for a long season (laughs) wait Grenham you asked us for our like instant reaction to the Cantor signing what was your reaction to Chris Dunn getting signed by the Celtics all right so I had I was out in San Diego for a wedding, as you guys knew. And I was at lunch. I was sitting outside this great taco place. And my phone is just vibrating like crazy in my pocket because, of course, all of my Providence group chats, various ones that I'm in, were like going absolutely nuts. So I pull my phone out and I'm like, oh my God. And Phoebe's like, what? 
Like what happened? And Chris Dunn, like he's going to the Celtics. Oh my God. And so of course I, I get up and I go, the, I go to the bathroom and I'm just scrolling on my phone. <laughs> so I was very, very excited. Very excited. A big moment. For your sake and for Gino Chimes sake and Providence sake, I hope that Chris Dunn stays on the roster. Fingers crossed. I really do too. A couple more quick takeaways here from tonight's game. Like we said, Romeo had that big dunk. I don't think he really like stood out at all tonight. He missed his one three-point attempt. It looked like a comfortable shot. Like I do think I do think his shot looks a little bit more comfortable than it did before. That that one dunk though, sometimes he does things like that where he hasn't done something like that really since he's been in the Celtics uniform. But he hasn't done see, something like that since he was in high school. Well, that's well, that's what I was just gonna say. You occasionally see like a brief flash, and you're like, Oh, that's that kid from New Albany who was the top yeah. like that's the guy. It's so odd because he's such a different player at the pro level than he was in high school, but that's the kind of flash that we saw before Indiana. Romeo's good in some ways that the modern game just doesn't know how to maximize, I feel like. Yeah, Romeo might be an all-time FIBA player. We just don't know it. He might <laughs> love the lack of spacing in the FIBA game. But you're right, it's weird. He's had almost a different skill set at every level. Or he's yeah. had to at least change his skill set at every level. So kind of a fascinating arc career arc for him yeah because in high school he really was just like you know superstar and just like, he was so explosive in high yeah. school it was insane and then at indiana he's just like super smooth and like very crafty and then in the nba he's just like and then in the nba he's got a ping pong paddle strapped to his hand like what the hell's going on here oh, and also he can play defense <laughs> yeah he's very good defender right what a bizarre basketball player super odd um, and then the only other guy who, you know, kind of has real interest to us, obviously, is Juwan Beggerin, who um, one for five. Really, the only thing that I noted from him tonight was one time a guy was trying to drive on him and he ran into him and Beggerin went nowhere. And the other guy just kind of lost the ball because like just rock solid, didn't go anywhere and just dislodged the ball by standing, which was pretty good. All right, guys. Well, I think we can leave it there. As always, thank you, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate you guys. You know where to find us and we will talk to you all later this week.